This is Mark chapter four, beginning in verse one. It says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, Hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. The word of God for the people of God. N.T. Wright describes Jesus' approach to ministry by saying this. Jesus had one particular method of explaining what was going on. As part of his campaign, he told stories. When I was first learning how to preach, I've told this story in the past, but the first sermon that I ever uh, preached was a message at a youth service. And you kind of know that the feel of these youth services, you've got people on stage that don't really know how to play instruments too well, usually at least in my experience, and then they invite the youth intern to speak. And I was really excited to do that because I was um, wanting to share this one story about Derek Redmond. Derek Redmond was an Olympic runner uh, his event was the 400. And in 1988, Derek Redmond suffered a torn Achilles that left him unable to compete. He was one of the top favorites in the event, and he was desperately waiting for 1992 to come along so that he could prove himself in the 400. In one of the qualifiers, this was a semifinal, and the top four would advance to um, a race that would put him in contention for a medal. The same thing takes place where Derek is running and as he makes that final turn and gets into the home stretch, something pops in his leg and he comes up lame. 
For those of us that were at the uh, Epoch 5K yesterday, you might be able to sympathize with Derek. Um, I don't know about you, but when I woke up this morning and tried to walk, it was difficult. Um, But what happened here is Derek kind of starts to stumble. He loses all mobility in one of his legs, and he eventually falls to the ground. And as this is taking place, his dad makes his way down from the stands. His dad, you can't see it here, but his his T-shirt, it says, have you hugged? I always told the story, have you hugged your kid today? And that makes it a better story, I think. But his shirt actually says, have you hugged your foot today? And I'm not really sure what that means. Um, <laughs> like runners really uh, hugging their feet. I look at Brandon because he knows a thing or two about running. But anyway, he makes his way down from the stands and somehow gets onto the track. You can tell this is in the early 90s because today, dude would be arrested pretty quickly. Um, but he makes his way onto the track, puts his arm around his son, and leads him across the finish line uh, together. After all of that work and years of preparation, this guy probably dedicated his entire life for this one 45-second race. And he didn't even get to compete. And I was really excited to tell this story as a young preacher because I thought that this could really like, capture the gospel. In particular, I wanted to read this verse from Philippians. It says... So I run straight toward the goal in order to win the prize. You see the connection there? It's like running and running and the struggle in life and your dad with the have you hugged your foot slash kid t-shirt and like there's no bounds to this love between father and son. It was, it was beautiful. However, as you know, um, I probably talked for about four minutes. Uh, the story that I just delivered to you, that was pretty good seasoned, you might say, a veteran up here knows how to tell a story. Back then, no. It probably took me all of uh, a minute to get through that, and it was a big punchline, and I kind of looked out on the crowd, and everybody's like, okay, now what? And at that moment, I knew, I got nothing else to say. (laughs) So it was a four-minute-long sermon that didn't really go anywhere, and I just wanted to tell that story. A few years later, I was uh, working at a church in Millsboro, And for some reason, they let me preach uh, to the big service. There was, you know, at the time, there was probably 600 people or so that attended this church. And I thought it would be good to talk about uh, my colonoscopy experience as a young man. I have a picture of my colon on my phone right now. And this morning, Kate and I had a real conversation where I said, Kate, people don't want to see my colon, right? And she said, I think that's probably pretty true. I mean, it was very clean. It looks like it's exemplary, I would say, (laughs) in in terms of colons. Um, But I I wanted to take this story and just attach it to uh, scripture where Paul is talking about like a body that's fading away. And I'm, you know, 21 at the time and all the 50 and 60 and 80 year olds at the moment. I'm sorry that I just lumped the 50 year olds in. Okay, I'm just gonna move on, but like, Like, all of them are sitting there, and I believe one guy threw out that, that infamous heckle. It's like, you don't know nothing about your body failing. It's like, okay, well, there's that. So we have the testimony from the seats and my colonoscopy stories, and I think that there was a lot of edification happening that <laughs> night. Um, but I just wanted to tell these stories. Uh, Jesus did not use stories in the same way that most American preachers do. Um, 
we have these little funny anecdotes that we want to just kind of keep people awake or sometimes we'll, um, folks will gear a whole sermon around this, this story and hopefully they do a better job of, of it than, than I did when I was a youth pastor. Since then, I've kind of moved away from that where our, our intention here at TRP is to let the word stand on its own, um, to not try to dress it up necessarily. But early on, I really wanted to tell uh, these stories that I thought would, would connect. The way that Jesus used stories, though, it was different. This is N.T. Wright. He continues. He says, Jesus' stories were designed to tease. They were designed to clothe the shocking and revolutionary message of God's kingdom in garb that left the hearers wondering, trying to think it out, never quite able until the very end to pin Jesus down. Jesus wanted to allow people to think. I've always thought it would be like one of the greatest sermons of all time just to come up here and tell like a 30-second story that doesn't really resolve and then just leave so that you guys would all be thinking, what the heck? A, what was that all about? And B, what do we do with that? And that's sometimes how Jesus taught was he these stories that would engage people, but it would also challenge folks. And it was pushing the bounds of what people were expecting to hear. And at times it was dangerous and it was subversive. These stories that Jesus was telling and the message that was surrounding it, um, it was not only unexpected, but it was thought-provoking, it was compelling, and ultimately it was challenging what people were understanding to be true about the world. When I think about stories that challenge us, I just have to put this picture on the screen and half of you are like, mm-hmm, I'm still angry about this and how this particular movie ended, or might I say did not end, this is from the movie Inception, and this is the very last frame where Leo DiCaprio spinning his little totem. Throughout the movie, we're, we're led to believe that if it falls over, Leo is in real time, and if it just keeps going, he's in some kind of a dream world. And the whole movie is kind of cycling around this, and he's reunited with his family, and he spins the totem, and it starts to wobble a little bit, credits. And you're all just kind of thinking like, what was that? How does it end? Where does it go? Is he with the people? And some of you like to not know the answer because the answer might totally destroy you if it's like one of those tragic movie endings where you're just like throwing things at the screen as it's coming up. There's another movie that came out and one of my Facebook friends, I guess, had just seen this movie a couple nights ago and was lamenting the fact that they had no idea what was going on in the, during this. Like, it's like a third dimension, and there's like time travel, and there's like black holes, and my brain hurts. Like that, some people just don't necessarily want to be there, but some of you love this kind of stuff. You love thinking, and you love engaging and you love being challenged, whether it's through film or books or even music or art, things that just make you contemplate life. And some of us really struggle with those sorts of, um, those sorts of issues. For Jesus, the story wasn't just something to leave you on a cliffhanger. The story that he was telling even the story about a guy going out to sow seed. It's about the kingdom. 
Everything in these first few chapters that we've seen Jesus do centers around the kingdom. In particular, it's about restoration taking place. It's about the kingdom being here and now. It's about the kingdom invading earth at this very moment. Some people even use the language of heaven showing up in this moment through Jesus. The miracles that he does, they're not just cool party tricks. They're things to show what will happen in the future when everything is put to rights when everything is redeemed and restored through his perfect atoning sacrifice and his powerful, glorious resurrection. When we see those sorts of things and, and view them in the light of Jesus's ultimate work to bring the kingdom to earth, this is what Jesus is talking about whenever he's, he's telling these stories. We often reduce the parables to, well, which one am I? Jesus, I think he had a bigger um, issue that he was trying to get across. He wanted people to realize that you're seeing the kingdom happening here and now. In fact, you are experiencing the kingdom here and now. The crowds, I hope you caught this, that keep showing up to hear Jesus, they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now my man, main man JC has to get in a boat and like float out into the, the river to speak to people while the masses are just kind of hovering and pushing and wanting so badly to be around him. And the message is the miracles that you've seen, the teachings that you've claimed are filled with authority and they're different and they're fresh and they're new. They're demonstrating this truth that the kingdom of God is here. In the early stages of this, he kind of coupled that announcement of kingdom with repent and believe the good news. In most church scenarios, we take that as a call to individual salvation where we say, I need to turn from my sins and believe on Jesus and follow him and then I'll go to heaven. This is not really what Jesus is intending at that time. Basically what he's saying is, there's things that are pulling for your allegiance. Pledge your allegiance to me. Involve yourself in this movement at this moment where the kingdom is coming and be a participant in it. It's not just about sinning less. For Jesus, it's about following him. It's about becoming a disciple. It's about mirroring and mimicking the things that he does. And we see this all throughout the first couple of chapters where he's calling disciples to send them out to do what it is that he's doing, from casting out demons to healing people to preaching. They're taking on that mantle and doing what Jesus does. Even later in the, in the gospels, Jesus says, it's good for you that I go away because you'll receive the spirit and you will go and do things much greater than the things that you've seen from me. We can't wrap our heads around that and that certainly doesn't fit in this small box of sin less, believe more, and you'll go to heaven when you die. For Jesus, it's let heaven invade earth now. Let heaven and the kingdom and God's plan and desire, let it invade this place so much so that people cannot deny what is happening and they won't put so much stock in what will happen in the future because they see Jesus working in our midst here and now. My students know that I love this phrase and if you've spent any time here with us at the Restoration Project, I know that you've heard this, but it seems so important. 
everything of what Jesus is talking about kind of centers on this idea of inaugurated eschatology. Say it with me, inaugurated eschatology. Say it one more time like you mean it and like you love it, inaugurated eschatology. Oh yeah, that just sounds smart, doesn't it? Um, let's try to bring the pretension levels down just a touch. But at the time that Jesus was teaching and preaching, the Jewish audience had a very uh, linear view of what was going to happen. At the moment, they were in this present age, and they were all anxiously anticipating the age to come. Messiah would show up, and when Messiah showed up, things would happen in such a way that it was undeniable that something different was taking place. For them, what they were expecting to see is a knight in shining armor on a big white horse with a sword that would be able to completely destroy Rome and then the Jews would be liberated once again and receive restoration and be able to live peacefully in their land. Jesus did not really show up on a white horse with a sword. He did things very, very, very differently. And we can see here that Jesus' concept of, of what would take place is not this big moment where the age to come would be ushered in. It was kind of like this hybrid where when he shows up, he says the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is here in the midst of the mess. The kingdom is here in the midst of death and suffering and persecution and oppression, difficulty. We see here, however, there's these moments where we experience the age to come right now, where we experience heaven on earth right now. But there's also moments in this time frame where we experience in very real ways hell, where the things that we go through do not look and feel heavenly where the moments in life, whether they be days or weeks or months or years, where we mourn and where we wait and where we lament and where we petition and plea God to do something, we hope for a little peace of heaven. As Christians, we also know that there will be a day when Jesus returns and, and things will, will take a shift and that, that moment that the Jews back in the first century were waiting for will happen. It'll happen in a different way However, for the time being, we see these little sprinklings from Jesus and his ministry of, of heaven. It's inaugurated in this moment where they can experience life and forgiveness and mercy and grace, where the blind can see and the dead can be raised and relationships can be restored. And even for us today, we see hints of restoration we see hints of redemption and reconciliation. But we also, even as a community over the past month and years together, we have also felt pain and heartache and longing for something different. This idea, I think, is all encapsulated in this story of, of Jesus where he's talking about people in the midst of this tension in the midst of these moments, and we see this played out in a sower who goes to toss some seed. Some of it lands beside the road, some of it lands on the rocky soil, some of it lands among the weeds and the thorns, and some of it takes root. 
we see even in this story, there's a tension between the good, the seed that takes root and it shoots up and it creates a, a yield of 30 or 60 or 100. But we also see those many seeds that do not even get a chance to grow. And there's a tension there in what is going on. It's not just about what kind of soil are you, it's about this plan that God has to bring kingdom to earth. One scholar says, God's new age is arriving despite all evidence to the contrary. For the parable does not only describe successful seed, three quarters of its space is devoted to unsuccessful seed. And this strange coexistence between the seed that takes root and creates a yield and the seed that does not, this strange coexistence of the new and old ages is for Mark the mystery of the dominion of God. The point here in this story is not just be good soil. The main point of this story is not just self-identifying where you have landed. We'll get to that, but that's not the only point that's being raised here, nor is the point that there are different types of responses. So I'm preaching the gospel. I'm telling you about Christ and Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead. And some of you, as you sit here, you're accepting that and you're being motivated to action by that. And some of you are completely shut off towards that. Perhaps because you're not paying attention, perhaps because of the life experiences that you've had where you have built up these walls where you say, I can't trust that guy. I can't trust this message of hope because I don't see hope. I can't trust this message of goodness because I don't feel goodness. And we see this, this parable being played out here, but there's, there's something that deeper is going on here, and I've said it a thousand times already. The point of what Jesus is saying is the kingdom is invading this earth right now, and it's happening through me. We, in our moment in history, are on the other side of this, where we've seen Jesus and his work and his ministry and his death and his resurrection and we're able to receive the benefits of that here and now and we see how this plays out for us in ways that the the early audience did not but even in this story there's a moment where we're left confused we're left concerned we're left disconcerted there's a break when jesus starts to explain what's going on in this parable he says Mark says, when Jesus was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables and he told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. This is important because he's saying this story and my whole ministry is about this one thing, the kingdom of God that's showing up in this moment. But he goes on to say, but those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that, and those two words are difficult. Everything is said in these stories, in this interstellar-ish sort of movie that might not connect with a lot of people. The things that I'm saying to you are told in these cryptic ways so that the outside people might be ever seeing but never perceiving. They might be ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, some translations say, lest those people turn and are forgiven. That is a hard teaching. 
Jesus telling his disciples, this is why I do what I do. I tell it because it's been given to you to understand, but these other people, it has not been given them to understand. And we are living in the midst of this tension where you are understanding these words, but other people, for whatever reason, they are not. This is the tension. This is that moment of the already where we receive Christ and the benefits and we see that and we see goodness and life and peace and hope and mercy but there's this not yet where we still we still go to funerals and we still go to hospital rooms and we still suffer and we still weep and we still mourn and we still are confused some get it and some don't and for a lot of us that way of putting it it's not quite good enough. Mark is leaving us in this moment of the real tension where people seemingly aren't able to understand these teachings and these stories because it's not been given them to understand. N.T. Wright says that what Jesus is saying is such dynamite that it can't be said straightforwardly. He can't just go out on the street and say, hey, um, the kingdom is here and this is what it looks like and this is what it's going to do and this is how Rome should be uh, scared of what's gonna happen. This is how I'm gonna establish the kingdom. Like he can't do that because it's overly political terms um, and it's, it's dangerous. It says any kingdom movement was dangerous enough on its own but if word got out that Jesus' kingdom vision was radically unlike what most people wanted and expected, the ordinary people would be furious too. If Jesus came out and said, this is what I'm doing, those people on the outside, not only would they not understand but because they don't understand, They'd be livid. They'd be furious. They wouldn't um, accept this message that Jesus is teaching. So what do we do with all this? I do want to revisit this, even though this is not what the parable is about. Where are you? What kind of soil are you? As this seed gets thrown around, is it taking root in your life, in your hearts? Are you seeing change where you're beginning to live not for yourself anymore, but you're giving, beginning to live for Christ and for his mission and for his calling? Are you beginning to be a person who lives out restoration and redemption and reconciliation? Are you being a person who brings heaven to earth? Or are you, through your words and your actions and deeds, bringing hell to earth? Are we still living and existing in those moments of self-centeredness or are we beginning to die to ourselves, pick up our cross and follow Christ and all of that entails? What kind of soil are you? We can also ask questions about our message um, and this gospel that we preach. Some of these commentators want to kind of push the bounds a bit and say Jesus' message was radical. It was dangerous. It was subversive. What about our message? Is it subversive? Is it dangerous? Or is it weak? and tame? What is it that we offer people through Jesus? Do we offer them hope of a better life? Do we offer them complete um, fixing of the problems? Do we announce that there's tension even still in the midst of this where we receive life and hope, yes, but we still suffer and we still struggle and we still wait for redemption to take its full and final form. 
could also ask the question of, is our message kingdom-oriented or is it me-centered? Is this gospel something that just gives you results? Is this gospel something where you just are believing so that when you die, you can go to heaven? Or is this gospel something that has become so deep-seated in you that it changes you from the inside out and you begin to live out your life in a way where people can see a difference in you? Not because you smile real cheesy, but because you're a person of justice and because you're a person who sees suffering and you do something about it, because you're a person who is empathizing with the broken, reaching out to the people on the margins and offering them something that is filled with hope. This story that Jesus crafts is not just a moment of self-reflection where you begin to say, what kind of soil am I? But you begin to do something with it, where you begin to analyze this message that Jesus preached 2,000 years ago is weighty, and it's subversive, and it's dangerous, and it's good. And does anything that we say or do or think resemble it? in any way. The self-assessment that I would like to leave us with is not just what kind of soil are you, but what are you doing with it? Do people know through your life and your words and your deeds and your character that Jesus has completely and radically transformed you? Or are we just existing, waiting for the cares of this world the financial issues that Mark talks about, those moments of suffering, are we just waiting for those things to snuff us out? Or are we allowed, allowing ourselves to live within the tension where we see the good and the bad and we see Christ as king over both? My hope for us tonight is that regardless of situation and circumstance, which I know even right now, they are weighty and they are tough and for some of you, they are beautiful and they are good, regardless of which side of those poles you're on, my hope is that Jesus and the kingdom and this offer of grace now and forgiveness now and peace now will transform us in every way possible.